Today on the Matt Wall Show, did Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez attend the Jussie Smollett School of Victimology? New revelations cast doubt on her claims of a near-death experience during the January 6th riot. Also, five headlines, including John Kerry explaining why he has to travel by private jet to save the planet. It, it all works somehow. We'll find out how. And the news media is, is horrified and scandalized by a grocery store in Florida where people aren't wearing a mask if you can imagine. And in our daily cancellation, we'll, we will contend with the ACLU's attempt to debunk biological science. Is biology canceled or is the ACLU canceled? We'll find out today. That and much more on The Matt Wall Show. You know, part of being an adult is being prepared. Uh, that's, that's, that's what it means to be a grown-up, is being prepared for anything that might happen, any catastrophe, emergency, any situation that might arise. And that's why you need to look into ReadyWise. ReadyWise is the leader in emergency food supplies. They've got emergency meals. They've got freeze-dried fruit and vegetables for convenient on-the-go on nutrition. They've also got their new adventure meals for hiking, camping, other outdoor activities. That's a time when you also want to be prepared if you're going out for a hike. ReadyWise makes being prepared simple and affordable. Order online and have nutritious meals shipped directly to your doorstep. ReadyWise products are our products are proudly made right here in the USA. Uh, so you're supporting a company that makes their product in the USA, which is really important, I think, to all of us. ReadyWise makes being prepared simple and affordable. You can order online, have nutritious meals shipped directly to your doorstep. When preparing our meals, all you need is four cups of water. Water doesn't have to be, have to be hot. That's all you need is the four cups. You simply pour the uh, food in, in, into the water, you stir it, and you cover. About 15 minutes later, it's ready to eat. It's also delicious. You shouldn't have to sacrifice taste and nutrition with emergency food. ReadyWise uses the finest ingredients and latest food preparation technology to ensure optimal taste and freshness. Each recipe is crafted by a team of chefs to provide delicious nutritional meals. And uh, I can vouch that the meals are actually delicious. So this week, my listeners can get 10% off at readywise.com when entering Walsh at checkout or by calling 855-475-3089. Readywise is a 30-day, no questions asked return policy, so there's no risk in taking the initiative to get you and your family prepared today. That's readywise, R-E-A-D-Y-W-I-S-E.com, promo code Walsh to get 10% off. You know, Andrew Jackson was the first president to be targeted for assassination. As Jackson was leaving a funeral in 1835, a man named Richard Lawrence, completely insane as it would turn out, approached the president, pulled a pistol from his coat, tried to shoot him. The weapon misfired, giving Jackson time to seize Lawrence and begin beating him over the head with his cane, his walking cane. During the scuffle, Lawrence actually managed to pull a second pistol, which also misfired. Later at trial, Lawrence declared himself to be King Richard III, and he was then found not guilty by reason of insanity. Now, the upshot is that Jackson managed to ward off his own assassin, himself armed only with a cane, and he did this in spite of the fact that he was 67 years old, injured, and sick, and the bullet still embedded in his lung from a duel three decades before was the least of his physical maladies. They, they, just, they really don't make politicians like that anymore. And it's a shame, too, because now we're evicting uh, him from the $20 bill. But at least they don't make politicians like that anymore in this country. Now, compare that story, that of a sitting U.S. president engaged in hand-to-hand -hand combat with an assassin, and that's a real story, to a much more recent drama involving another prominent public official, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Now, to hear her tell it, the incident was quite similar. According to AOC herself on January 6th, a mob of lunatics had been, quote, sent to the Capitol by Ted Cruz and other Republicans to, quote, have her murdered. 
She was in her office when she heard shouting and loud banging. Her, her life flashed before her eyes. She was forced to lock herself in the bathroom, huddling against the wall, afraid to make a sound. She, she, she knew that her time was short. It was coming to an end. Let's listen. We played this a couple days ago. Let's listen again just to a quick clip of her describing some of this experience, just to refresh our memories. Here she is. Like, I'm here, and the bathroom door starts going like this. Like, the bathroom door's behind me, or rather, in front of me. And I'm like this, and the door hinges right here. And I just hear, where is she? Where is she? And um, this was the moment where I thought everything was over. Um, and the weird thing about moments like these is that you lose all sense of time. Um, in retrospect, um, maybe it was four seconds, maybe it was five seconds, maybe it was 10 seconds, maybe it was one second, I don't know. It felt like my brain was able to have so many thoughts in that moment um, between these screams and these yells of where is she, where is she? And so I go down and I just, I mean, I thought I was going to die. Now, in retrospect, it's kind of funny when you read some of the comments. Uh, if, you're, if you're watching that video, she was on Instagram Live and you see the, the live comments from people that were uh, watching her and all these comments like, oh, oh, oh my gosh, this is unreal. This is unbelievable. Well, yeah. Um, now she tells us that she came to terms with her own impending death as the rampaging mob tore through the building. One sort of imagines the scene from Lord of the Rings when the orc army is trying to break down the door to the fortress as Pippin and Gandalf sit there on the other side awaiting the end. Death is just another path, Gandalf says calmly. AOC's tale is supposed to have a similar sort of feel, right? She says that she, she managed to achieve a certain inner resolve and peace as she was facing her demise when she realized that her work would be carry on, carried on by those who come after her. And yes, she really said that. Then, then a Capitol Police officer barrels through the door. But she still wasn't safe. Something wasn't right, she tells us. Was he there to protect her? Or was he an undercover agent working for the other side? His facial expressions, his unpleasant bedside manner made her wonder. So she prepared to, to fight him off if need be. Even now, she still isn't sure if he was one of the good guys or not, even though she came, he came to protect her. She's still not sure. Nevertheless, she, uh, she narrowly made it to safely, sa safety. She, she lived to fight another day, though just barely. Uh, and this is the story as it was told to us. And then the truth comes out. The Daily Wire has the report, um, quoting now, Republican Representative Nancy Mace, whose office is two doors down from Democratic Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, noted that insurrectionists never made it to their hall when the U.S. Capitol building was breached on January 6th. Mace made the note while hitting the media for their attempts to, quote, fan fic fictitious, uh, fictitious new flames about the breach. On January 6th, Mace tweeted that she left her office in the Cannon building still inside the Capitol complex, but some distance from the Capitol Rotunda and the House Chambers. She said at the time, just evacuated my office in Cannon due to a nearby threat. She wrote, now we're seeing protesters assaulting Capitol Police. Red State reports, 
AOC wasn't even in the Capitol building when all of the action was going down. If she was in her office, she was in the Cannon building, which is nearby, but a different building. But of course, many didn't get the logistics and just assumed that she was in the Capitol building. According to Representative Nancy Mace, who was in office, in the same office as AOC, two doors away, there was never any rioters in their hall, so there was never any physical danger from rioters coming in at any point. Ocasio-Cortez made clear she didn't know who was at her door, the Republican wrote, capturing a post from Newsweek. Breathless attempts by media to fan fictitious new flames are dangerous. My office is two doors, two doors down, Mace underscored. Insurrectious never stormed our hallway. Egregious doesn't even begin to cover it. Is there nothing the MSM won't politicize? Well, this is a very different sort of story, isn't it? This version, which appears to be the correct version, rather condenses AOC's involvement, if we could put it politely. In truth, it would seem, here's what happened. She was in her office, never in any direct danger of any kind. And then she was told to evacuate, which she did without incident. The end. That's it. That's the story. From this baseline, she has weaved a a, a whole fantasy narrative involving narrow escapes, murderous mobs just outside her door, hitmen sent by Republican senators to kill her. This is reminiscent of the time when she went down to the border and broke down in tears while watching children get locked in cages, only it turned out that she didn't see anybody in any cages. In fact, she was weeping while staring into an empty parking lot. Very similar sort of situation. Now, AOC has tried a number of tactics to manage the PR crisis caused by her own embellishments. Responding to a tweet from Jack Posobiec, uh, who has been doing a lot of the fact-checking on this story because the media... The mainstream news media won't do the fact-checking. This is what she said in response to Jack. She said, this isn't a fact-check at all. Your arrows aren't accurate. They lie about where the mob stormed and place them further away than it was. You you also fail to convey multiple areas where people were trying to storm. It wasn't just one. You also fail to show tunnels. Poor job all around. Now, hold on a second. Tunnels? Is she suggesting that the mob went through the tunnels and made it to her building? I don't think she's trying to suggest anything in particular at this point, really. This, this is simply deflection. And of course, if you can't deflect, the other strategy, at least if you're a Democrat, is to censor. So Team AOC is apparently now sending out emails urging their followers to report anyone who questions AOC's story. The email urges supporters to, uh, quote, scan your social media to find posts with this misleading information. And then, quote, use the built-in report feature to flag them for moderators. See, this is what you could do if you're a Democrat. Democrats know that big tech is on their side, ready to help. So all they have to do is throw up the alley-oop, and the big tech will, uh, will, will take it from there. You know, they're going to put it through the hoop. Along with deflection and censorship, the other strategy is doubling down. All right, so those are, the, those are the three basic strategies, deflection, censorship, double down. AOC is employing all of them. She's going for the trifecta. It was actually reported this morning that House members will come together on the floor on Thursday night, tonight, to share their personal stories of the January 6th riot. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez will, of course, kick off the event. She'll be there. This, this is how they're going to spend um, their time, our time. We've got a pandemic, we've got lockdowns, we've got economic crisis. And they're going to use the House floor like a therapy session, group therapy. And they're all going to get up there and tell their stories. Now, personally, if we're going to do this, I would much rather hear the stories of regular Americans who survived BLM rioting. How about the woman who was beaten with two by fours in Rochester by BLM rioters? I'd like to hear her story. 
Still, it will be interesting to see if AOC's story has grown any more dramatic in the last few days. You never know. Maybe in the newest version, you know, she'll, she'll grab a decorative sword from the wall, use it to vanquish a gang of pirates or something. You know, they always get carried away with the Hollywood remakes. Now, it's easy to laugh at, the, at this, and uh, it, it is pretty hilarious after all, but our laughter shouldn't overshadow the very real scandal here. The fact is that a, a congresswoman told a radically embellished story which included a baseless smear of a Capitol police officer, not to mention her previous, her previous slander of Ted Cruz, accusing him of attempted murder. And she did all of this for reasons of political expedience. And, of course, to achieve more victim points. Because AOC, of all people, knows that the real privilege in America, forget about white privilege, the real privilege in America is victim's privilege. If you are actually an, an, an eligible victim, of course, we know that a person's race and or political affiliation may preclude them from victim status no matter what happens to them. But if you're eligible for the position, then you could always increase your victim status and therefore your social and political capital by making yourself more and more of a victim. To have the most victim points is to have the most power. To be the uber victim is to be untouchable, unquestionable. AOC knew she had an opportunity here and she couldn't let it pass. For the rest of her political career, whenever she's trying to get some policy through or some agenda item, her argument will essentially be, I almost died in a riot, and you would dare deny me? How dare you? You, you don't care about survivors at all. It's a persuasive pitch. I mean, not to me, but to a lot of people. So that's the game now. And that's why we've gone from politicians who beat their own assassins over the head with canes and then, carried, then went ahead and carried on with their day like nothing happened to politicians who break down in tears and scream because a police officer frowned at them. It's not a matter of being overly sensitive. Let's not mistake this. This is about power. For all of AOC's talk about social justice and helping the less fortunate and so on, this power is all she really cares about. Now let's get to our five headlines. I just saw this tweet from uh, Mayor de Blasio in New York. And I, I thought this was funny because this is his tweet. He's, he's linking to an article. I think it's a Bloomberg article. Um, and, uh, but his, his caption says, move over Austin because as the song says, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. And it's easier than ever for young dreamers to make it in the greatest city in the world. So he's, talk, you know, he's talking about New York, obviously, and he's encouraging people to come, come to New York. Um, and as the mayor of the city, it's part of his job is to try to get people to come move there. Um, but he can't even do that right. This guy is such an incompetent boob that he can't even do that right. If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. That's supposed to be a sales pitch for the city. Because you can't you invert that and, and say what, what you're actually saying is it's harder to make it here than anywhere else. That's your pitch? Because I could say that about, like, living inside a volcano. If you can make it inside a volcano, then you can make it anywhere. If you can make it in the Amazon rainforest, then you can make it anywhere. That's probably true, but it does, it's not going to be my first choice, though. I'd rather go to the places that are easier to make it. Easier because, you know, the local government isn't working against me at every step of the way. Easier because they're not taxing me into oblivion. Easier because... Um, I can afford to live in more than just a, you know, a, a studio apartment with rodents the size of small cats. Like that, that's what that's what I would prefer personally. 
But if you're trying to pitch, I guess, in fairness, though, if you're trying to get people to move to New York at this point, um, there's not a lot to work with. So he's doing the best he can. All right. John Kerry was um, asked yesterday about how he squares his private jet habit with his fight against climate change. I thought his answer is great because he, he tries to explain that actually he needs the private jet in order to stop climate change. Let's listen. On that issue, pollution, I understand that you came here with a private jet. Uh, is that the, an environmental way to travel? If you offset your carbon, it's the only choice for somebody like me who is traveling the world to win this battle. Uh, I negotiated the Paris Accords uh, for the United States. I've been involved in this fight for years. I negotiated with President Xi to bring President Xi to the table so we could get Paris. And uh, I believe the time it takes me to get somewhere. I can't sail across the ocean. I have to fly to meet with people and get things done. But what I'm doing almost full time is working to win the battle of climate change. And in the end, uh, if I offset and contribute my life to do this, uh, I'm not going to be put on the defensive. Offset my carbon. Uh, What's the science behind that? How does that work exactly? What's the exchange rate? Does he have a chart or something he tacks up on the refrigerator? So one, so you fly in a private jet one time and then recycle two milk cartons and plant a tree. And it and it's that about equals. We're fair, fair square, Earth. Okay. Don't be mad at me. Oh, he has to fly around so he can do the job. Well, you can't do a Zoom meeting like everybody else has been doing. That's not gonna be enough. You have to actually fly there. And if you do fly there, you can't take commercial. Oh, you, you can't take a boat? Why not? You're, you're the one telling us that it's this is do or die. The, the whole the, the world might end. This is we're, we're we're facing the apocalypse. But then we're trying to avert the apocalypse. There there is nothing that should be too radical in trying to address that problem. And in fact, people like John Kerry and Democrats would agree with that. Usually, they would say there's no, no Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, the Green New Deal. Nothing is too radical for us, though. See. There is no sacrifice too radical for us, for you, for me. But for John Kerry, he can't even sacrifice, sacrifice his private jet. The rest of us can sacrifice everything, but, but not him. That's the way it goes. Now, this is a common complaint. It, it, it um, is so common because it's, this happens so often that the people who are environmental champions are the ones who are most guilty of, by their logic, destroying the environment. But the problem is it becomes almost a cliche to bring it up because we're so used to it. And it's, it is often viewed as almost a cheap shot to bring up how people like this are flying on private jets. But it's not a cheap shot. This is, it's actually very important. Any more than it's a cheap shot when you've got uh, a pastor or a priest at your church who's involved in a sex scandal. If, if you go to that church and you care about the sex scandal... That's not a cheap shot on your part. It's not irrelevant. Because the fact that the pastor or priest is saying one thing in the pulpit, but then living this double life, not even trying to live by the things that he preaches, and his his actual uh, lifestyle so completely contradicts everything he says, well, what that tells you is that he doesn't really believe what he says. Or at least it's a very good indication of hypocrisy. That's what hypocrisy is. It's saying things you don't believe. And you can't have someone leading your church who doesn't believe the doctrines. Can you? 
Climate change is its own religious doctrine. And so it is, it's, it's very interesting that all, almost all the high priests and high priestesses of climate change don't appear to really believe the doctrine. And when this becomes so common, then you start to realize, then you start to think, hmm, maybe there's a problem with the doctrine. That the people who profess to know the most about it and are the most focused on it don't actually believe it. In, in their personal life, they take it about as seriously as I do, which is, I don't really take it seriously at all. But I'm still not flying on private jets. That is a sacrifice that I have chosen to make, not going on private jets. All right, um, the Daily Wire has the news on the Go- Gloden- G- Golden Globe, the Golden Gobe nominations. Uh, the Golden Globe nominations are out, and I, I, you know, if this, this is also really important, so I figured if you didn't hear about these nominations, let's go through some of them, uh, Golden Globes coming up, 78th annual, okay? Best motion, motion picture drama. Here are the nominees. The Father, Mank, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. I, I, I'm not trying to be funny when I tell you I have no idea what any of these movies are. I didn't, know, I didn't even know that any of these movies existed. With the exception of The Trial of the Chicago 7. That movie I knew about. Uh, the rest of them, what? Mank? The Father? Have... Um, okay, best performance by an actress in a motion picture. Um, Viola Davis in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. What? Do these movies exist? Is this a joke? Is this some sort of parody article in the Daily Wire? Um, Andra Day in the United States versus Billie Holiday. Vanessa Kirby, Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand, Nomadland, Carrie Mulligan, Promising Young Woman. Best performance by an actor, Riz Ahmed in Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins, The Father, Gary Oldman, Mank. Uh, I, I have never heard of any of these movies. This is the first time this has actually happened. And I actually, I'm a, I wouldn't call myself a movie buff, but I... I I, I think I generally stay up to date on what movies are out. I enjoy movies. Never heard of these. Um, number three, the mask cops are now out in force. So watch out for this. This is from Reason. It says Americans are now required to wear masks in planes, trains, buses, subways, taxis, car services, boats, and transportation hubs. Per a new order from the CDC, masks must be of a style approved by the federal government, must fit properly. Failure to comply will result in being prohibited from traveling Booted from the transit in question. Hopefully, if you're on a plane, you won't be booted mid-flight, but who knows. And uh, potential criminal penalties. The order will be enforced by the TSA, of course, and other federal authorities, as well as state and local officials. This is what they're going to be focused on, is if you're wearing a mask. Now, speaking of masks, though, um, I want to play this for you. CNBC had a shocking report, at least they're shocked by it, about people at a grocery store not wearing a mask. This is one grocery store down in Florida somewhere. People aren't wearing a mask, and this made headline news at CNBC. Let's, uh, let's watch. You know, we all fantasize about a time when we won't have to wear the masks anymore. It's not now. But some at a supermarket in Florida appear to have decided that the time is now. Look at this. This was the scene at Oaks Farms Seed and to Table Market in Naples today. NBC Sam Brock took this video, which went viral. It looks like it was taken pre-pandemic, right? 
Most customers and employees not wearing masks at all. This store's policy includes mask exemption guidelines. The sign says if you have a medical condition that you don't have to wear a mask and nobody inside will ask about medical conditions, so masks are not enforced. The owner told Sam Brock this when questioned about the policy. Is yeah. your position then about medical exemptions or is it about the fact that you don't think masks work and that the virus well, is not a real thing? I know that the masks don't work and I know that the virus has not has not killed 400,000 people in this country. That's, that's total hogwash. Florida does not have a mask mandate, but masks do work. The science is crystal clear. In July, the CDC director said the United States could get COVID under control in four to eight weeks if we would only all wear masks. Shocking. Horrifying. The only thing that's horrifying is that I wish I had a place like that where I live. I wish there was a store like that. I really hate it. So, so many things to hate about uh, what has happened over the last year or so. But one of the worst is this normalization of snitching. Everyone's just become a bunch of tattletales. And it's especially no- annoying for me because I spend so much of my time at home uh, dealing with tattletaling. Because my kids, especially my daughter, are way into the tattletale phase now. And my daughter is just a narc. I mean, she's patrolling the house constantly looking for people to tell on, and she, including me and, and my wife. Like, if she catches one of us doing something she thinks is against the rules, she'll tell on us to the other parent. So I'm constantly telling my kids, we don't, we don't tattletale, we don't tattletale. But the entire country becoming a bunch of tattletales. Look, if there are people at this store, here's the thing. As far as I know, Uh, And if I'm wrong about this, then I will correct the record and I I will apologize for being wrong. But as far as I know, the guy who runs that grocery store is not sending armed goons out to kidnap people and and point guns at them and force them to go shop at his grocery store. Now, that would be an interesting business strategy. Um, You know, there might be something to be said for it, but I don't think that's what he's doing. So everybody that's there, they're there because they choose to be. Because they want to be. They're not wearing the mask because they don't want to wear it. There's, I, I can assume there's not one person in that store who is really very concerned about it. Because if they were, they wouldn't be there. The only person concerned about it is the, is the, is the snitch with the camera filming them. Everybody else, this is a choice they've made. My body, my choice. This is one, it's like the one area where that slogan actually kind of makes some sort of sense. I'll choose. If I want to put the mask over my, over my own body, I, I will. If I don't, I won't. But of course, the my body, my choice crowd, nowhere to be found on that. Number four, um, since we're on the subject of potential hoaxes, um, people attending the Jesse Smollett School of, of Hoaxing, here's another possible ones from more news from the daily wire says evanston illinois school board member elizabeth lindsey ryan earlier this month claimed that she was the victim of a misogynistic and homophobic hate crime the problem however is that no one is willing to share the police report she allegedly made of the incident lindsey ryan wrote a statement that was released by the district 65 school board on january 11th according to the college fix um here's a statement this is what she claims this weekend i was the target of a hate crime the motive of the, motive of the perpetrator was clear. My car and personal belongings ransacked along with a message of homophobic hate language prominently displayed. 
There's another one of those notes left on the car things. Now, you can't help but notice that like every single time, this is a hoax. Has there been in the last 20 years one time when there was a, a hateful note left on someone's car uh, and, it was, and it was authentic? I would have to assume that it actually has happened a few times, just the law of averages, but I can't think of one. All the ones that come to mind were fake. Anyway, so this is what she says. Um, she says this, this, there was nothing stolen. This wasn't a burglary. It was the intent to terrorize. While this experience was both heartbreaking and terrifying for my family, it's a result of white supremacy colluding with misogyny and homophobia to inflict the most harm possible. While homophobia was utilized in an attempt to silence me, it is not working in isolation. It's part of a greater collaboration to derail my commitment to racial equity. I feel compelled to join board leadership in issuing a message to our community that offers important context for this occurrence. Okay, and they're, you know, they're making hay with this, and um, she's a victim, and so on and so forth. Uh, and if it really happened, then you know, she, she is a victim of uh, someone being very nasty to her. But, but the interesting thing is that various outlets, including the College Fix, have, have made multiple attempts. They've contacted her, they've contacted the school board, they tried to contact her through apparently multiple different ways, emails and messages and so on. Um, just asking if they could see, can we see the police report? Is there any photographic uh, evidence? Is there anything else you could tell us about this? After all, if there's some bigot out there, you know, on the loose, vandalizing cars, we want to know about it. But so far, those attempts to look at the police report have gone um, unanswered. So we'll see. Could be the same people. We remember uh, Althea Bernstein. Where was she? She was in Wisconsin. And she claimed that some guys in Hawaiian shirts, some white guys, accosted her at, a, at a, a, an intersection and doused her with lighter fluid and set her on fire. And, uh, you know, but, but again there, there's, the, the police looked at all the security cameras around. There was a security camera at the intersection. Ever, they, they, they could not find this on camera. So either it didn't happen or, or maybe these were, you know, they, they, they could have been invisible, could have had invisibility cloaks or something. We don't know. Maybe it's the same people is what I'm saying. It's possible. Maybe that's the twist ending to all this. There's one group of bigots, highly skilled. They're responsible for Jussie Smollett, Althea Bernstein, Alexandra Casey-Cortez, uh, Bubba Wallace, they put the rope in the garage. Who knows? All right, number five. Finally, this video was making the rounds uh, this week, going viral. It's a 33-year-old arthritic, decrepit, flightless, crippled, one-eyed bat named Statler. That's his name. Not to be confused with Stelter, Brian Stelter, who some say is also a crippled, one-eyed bat. But, uh, but this bat was the, uh, was the subject of a, of a heartwarming viral video showing how caretakers at some kind of bat conservatory take care of him and even fly him around around the room because uh, it, it, but he can't fly anymore, but, but he does, he's, he's blind as a bat, so he, he doesn't know any better. Um, and uh, a lot of people think this video is very heartwarming, so let's, let's check it out. He goes out for his flights daily. Because of all his injuries and his age, we hold him, we fly him into the kitchen. To the huge bowl of snacks and let him grab the snacks. <laughs> he looks around like he's actually flying. 
maybe he's thinking about his younger years, we hope. <laughs> Statler is 33. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't mean to be too harsh, but I watched that. Am I the only one? I watched that, and I think, first of all, disgusting. <laughs> is that, if you saw that thing outside your house, this old bat waddling around, trembling, would you, like, would you think, oh, that's cute. But also, and I think this is the most compassionate thing, the first thing I thought when I saw that, aside from disgusting, is we need to put that thing down. It's in a lot of pain. What are you doing keeping it alive for? You see this a lot of these kinds of videos with, you know, people's pets that are like way past their last leg. They don't even have any legs anymore. And they're just keeping the animals alive. Make, you know, a dog with four wooden legs they cart it around in a wheelbarrow. It's supposed, it's supposed to be, uh, it's, oh, it's, so, it's so heartwarming. No, that, the, 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 it's an animal and it's in pain. And you're just keeping it alive for your own sake because you think it's cute. That's the most merciful thing with an animal when it's injured. Basically, when an animal can no longer perform its most crucial function, like a bat that can't fly anymore, you put it down. Because it's an animal and it's in pain, that's the best thing you could do for it. I made this point on Twitter and a bunch of people told me, but he looks happy. He's so happy. What do you mean he looks happy? What? Do you know what a happy bat looks like? Tell me the difference between a happy bat and a sad bat. I'll line, I'll, I'll line 10 bats up in front of you. Tell me who's this, who are the sad and happy bats. How can you tell, Dr. Doolittle? Now, we have all watched, way, we've been brainwashed by Disney. We grew up on these Disney movies and Pixar movies uh, with the anthropomorphized, you know, animals. And so now we think we can just assume their emotions. Whether, whether animals, even, whether a bat even has emotions is a, is a, is a question, uh, you know, in and of itself. But no, the most merciful thing there with that bat is to kill it. And that's the lesson there in animal mercy. We're going to move on to our, to our latest, most exciting segment, I think, the segment that I have dubbed reading the YouTube comments, because this is where I read some of the YouTube comments. Um, and if you, you know, if you want me to read your comment, all you have to do is, uh, is leave one if you watch the show on YouTube. Um, so we'll read a couple of these from the show yesterday. Someone 99 says, imagine a group of race, gender, and PC obsessed people. Then imagine these bubble wrapped children in adult bodies walking on eggshells around everyone all day. Other than being the butt of jokes, nobody would really care what this woke crowd thinks. Unfortunately, this group of virtue signaling zombies scared of their own shadow are in positions of power today. Very well put, someone 99. I, I very, very well put, eloquently put. But I also think I go back to what I said at the beginning of the show. We make a mistake when we assume, you know, the, the way you're, you're presenting it here is that these are overly sensitive snowflakes, right? And that, that, that may be the case for a lot of people. But someone like AOC, for example, someone in a position of power, no, not overly sensitive at all. This is, this is a cynical power grab. They know exactly what they're doing. So when they pretend to be offended by something that isn't really offensive, and they try to cancel someone for some innocuous thing, it's, it's not that they're, that they're actually being sensitive. They know what they're doing. But they're doing. But they're. This is a. This is a, a ploy for power. So it's actually a lot worse than how you put it. Because at least if they were actually overly sensitive and just being emotional babies, well, that would be a problem. 
But at least in that case, they're being sincere. There's no sincerity here. It's all an act. It's a stage performance. Uh, Tomato Joe says, oh dear, now that I know there's a chance Matt will read my comments, I hope I can come up with something insightful to say. Well, you failed, Tomato Joe. You failed. It's the last time I read a comment from a guy named Tomato Joe, I can tell you that. Micah says, uh, I see your point in regards to Karen. I guess as a white person, the reasonable, uh, the reason why I don't take offense is I don't care for Karens either. This isn't a shot at all white women, but women who behave like this. It represents whites in a bad light and they need to be called out. Yeah, I, I discussed yesterday that Karen is, it's a, it's a racial slur and it actually is. That's how, that's, that's how it was intended. That's how it originated. And this is the response I've heard from a lot of people that yeah, I don't have a problem with the Karen thing because the people that are called Karen, I don't like them either. Well, I, I understand that. The, the people who are typically labeled that way, I, I also, I feel the same way. I, I've, I have no sympathy for them. But that um, excuse would never work, right, in any other situation. If there was a racial slur towards any other race... You couldn't defend it on the basis of saying, well, yeah, but the people that we use it against are, you know, deserve it. Right. So that's my point, that that excuse for racial slur would obviously not work in any other situation. Or if you if you called a non-white person some kind of racial slur and you got called out for it, you wouldn't be able to say in your defense, "Okay, but that person's a jerk, even if they were being a jerk. Because the response is going to be, okay, but that doesn't excuse using a racial slur. And so all I'm saying is that exact same logic should apply here. That's all. Uh, Justine says, I knew this would be a problem when hate crimes became a big deal. There was never a need for that label. If the activity was criminal, then fine, it's a crime. But hate itself is not a crime, and no one can actually determine if another person hates something. Yeah, it's exactly the problem. And that's why I said... You know, conservatives made a big mistake by basically going along with the hate crime designation. Oftentimes, conservatives will use it themselves. Um, but although every most of the things that we call hate crimes are actually crimes, unless it's a hoax like Jussie Smollett, labeling hate on it is to assume that you can read the person's mind and that you know what the motivation was behind it. And as I said yesterday, it also assumes that even if they were motivated by hate, that hatred is the worst possible kind of motivation. So you beat someone up or kill someone, and if we can prove that you did it out of racial animus and hatred, then you're going to get the federal crime, you're going to go to prison for longer. Yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you kill someone, put you in jail forever. Give you a death penalty probably is a good... But um, is that really a worse motivation than just killing someone out of pure indifference? Or killing someone because you want their money? Now, what, what about uh, you kill someone because you want to steal their shoes or you want to steal $15 from their wallet? It's not that you hate them. It's just that their life means nothing to you one way or another. I would argue that that is at least as bad as hate, if not a lot worse. So those are the comments. Uh, and again, if you want to chime in, you could always leave a comment on YouTube. You know, unless you're obscenely, ridiculously wealthy and you can afford to fly the private jets around, then I'm sure you've had the experience like we all have of just struggling to stay ahead, just keep your head above water with your finances. That's uh, something a lot of us have dealt with. Do you ever feel like no matter how hard you work, you just can't seem to get ahead? If you look back 
through the last few years and you just never have enough money in the bank account or you only have enough to pay your bills, you're playing, you're on month to month with your bills. That's not really the American dream uh, that we're hoping for, is it? That's not what we're all looking for. It's not the, the dream we were promised. Times are tough right now and a lot of people have racked up all sorts of debt, whether it's credit cards, consolidation loans, store cards, even those payday loans, they can have interest rates over 10%. We know life's been tough, but the good news is turbo debt is here to help. Banks want to keep you in debt. That's the, uh, that's the dirty secret, not much of a secret. They only make money when you pay interest, so they, they're interested in you being in debt. Almost 70% of Americans die with credit card debt and no money in the bank. You don't want to be in that position. Turbo debt helps with credit slash retail cards, personal loans, payday loans, medical debt. Think about how much you pay every month to credit cards versus going into the bank as savings, pre- preparing for your future, You know, uh, putting money in the bank for your kids. If you're paying 500 bucks a month, in just five years, you would have $30,000 in cash in the bank if you didn't have those high interest credit cards. And so you got to take care of this. Turbo debt is your solution. If you have over $10,000 in credit cards, personal loans, medical or payday loans, they can help. End the endless cycle of debt and start investing in your future now. Go to www.turbodebt.com Walsh for a free consultation. And if you haven't done this yet, put this on your, um, on your to-do list as well. Go to dailywire.com and become a member now. You can get 25% off. We still have this deal going. It's not going to go forever. Uh, You can use promo code RHF to get 25% off. And if you're using that RHF promo code, it means you're also getting a chance to watch Run, Hide, Fight, which is our uh, new movie. It's our first movie, our first foray into, you know, making culture, um, making entertainment. And it's a movie that people love. 2,000 positive reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, 93%. You can go look for yourself. This is your last chance to take advantage of this deal. So use promo code RHF to get 25% off your membership at Daily Wire. Join us in this cultural fight today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today we're canceling the ACLU, and not for the first time, I'm sure. Not for the last either. But we, uh, before we talk about the ACLU, what, what it's done to get itself canceled again, uh, I want to play a related clip. This is not someone from the ACLU, but this is Biden's Biden's pick for education secretary. Miguel Cardona is his name. And here he is being questioned recently by Rand Paul about the issue of trans people in sports. This is what he said. What do you think in general about boys running in girls track meets like they've been doing in Connecticut? I think that it's critically important that education systems and educators respect the rights of all students, including students who are transgender, um, and that they are afforded the opportunities that every other student has to uh, participate in extracurricular activity. Does it bother you that, like, the top 20% of boys running in track meets beat all of the girls in the state and that it, you know, would be... You know, completely destroy girls' athletics. The girls are being pushed out. Um, they don't make the finals in the state meet. They don't get college scholarships. That it's really detrimental to girls' sports. Do you worry about having boys running girls' track meets? You know, I, I recognize and appreciate the concerns um, and the uh, frustrations that are expressed. I've, as commissioner of education, have had conversations with families uh, who have felt the way you just described it, and families of. Uh, students who are transgender. So I understand that this is a challenge. I look forward to working with you and others to... Do you think it's fair to have boys running in the girls' track, mate? I think it's appropriate for... It's, I think it's, it's the legal responsibility of schools to provide opportunities for students to uh, participate in activities, and this includes students who are transgender. 
This is the answer of the defense we always hear from public officials who support putting uh, boys and girls sports. That is, we hear no answer, no defense. There's no cogent argument in favor of it, and they know it. The only possible argument is that it makes the boys feel good to compete against girls, but that's neutralized by the fact that it makes the girls feel not good when boys compete. Now, I would say the girls' feelings outweigh the boys by a considerable margin in this case, but at its worst, at, at worst, it's kind of a wash, offsetting penalties. Uh, nobody wins on that score. We can't settle the issue based on feelings. We'll have to look at the facts then, the science. And in that realm, there is really no argument to support the left's position. Which brings us to the ACLU. They have helpfully, though unwittingly, proved my point about there being no arguments in support of the left's position on this topic. In a tweet thread this week, the once respected civil liberties organization, and those days of being respected were long ago indeed, but they attempted to debunk what they call the four myths about trans people in sports. Uh, they explain, quote, attacks on trans youth in sports are showing up in dozens of state legislatures nationwide. These bans are discriminatory, harmful, and unscientific. Here's why. And then they go through the myths one by one and attempt to debunk them. So let's, let's review these. Myth one, says the ACLU, is that, quote, sex is binary, apparent at birth, and identifiable through singular biological characteristics. That's the myth, they say, that sex is binary. Here's the debunking. There is no one way for our bodies to be. Women, including women who are transgender, intersex, or disabled, have a range of different physical characteristics. Biological sex and gender are not binaries. There are not set hormone ranges, body parts, or chromosomes that all people of a particular sex or gender have. Okay. This is just one big twisted pretzel of conflations and misdirections. First of all, notice how sex and gender are used interchangeably. Okay, it, it used to be that gender is not binary. Sex and gender are two different things, and, and uh, gender is not binary, but sex is different. Um, now, gender and sex are both not binary. How do they prove this? How do they support the assertion that sex is not binary and not apparent at birth, even though in almost every case ever in history, the sex of a child has been correctly identified right away just by looking at what's between the child's legs? Well, they bring up intersex and disabled people. The point they're trying to make is that in a very small minority of cases, there are people born with mutations or deformities or abnormalities that make it difficult to determine their biological sex. But this does not mean that there is no biological sex or that their sex is something other than male or female. It just makes it harder to tell. And at any rate, this has nothing to do with transgender people. Even if I agree that intersex people are an exception to the uh, uh, sex is binary rule, which I don't, but even if I did that still would do nothing to help the transgender people who are not intersex. And this is a discussion about trans people, isn't it? So forget about intersex, forget about uh, disabled. Talk just about trans people. If I, if I need to be more specific, non-intersex trans people. What about them? The ACLU continues with myth two. Trans athletes' physiological characteristics provide an unfair advantage over cis athletes. This, again, is supposed to be a myth. Perhaps next they'll debunk the myth that the sun is hot, that the earth is round, or that horses are mammals, or that gasoline is not a beverage. Maybe these are all myths. Who knows? But here are the facts, um, as told by the science-denying lunatics at the ACLU. They say, Trans athletes vary in athletic ability, just like cisgender athletes. In many states, the very same cis girls who have claimed that trans athletes have an unfair advantage have consistently performed as well or better than transgender competitors. 
That's it. That's all they got. That's all they have to prove that boys don't have a biological advantage over girls in sports. Um, yes, they're debunking the claim that men have physical advantages over women by pointing out that some women sometimes can compete against some men. This is exactly like debunking the claim that humans need to drink water every day by pointing out that some people have lived for a week without drinking water. It is precisely the same logic. Uh, you're, you're going with the outlier case and trying to extrapolate a general rule based on that. The actual facts are quite clear cut. Females, on average, have less muscle mass, smaller fast twitch muscle fibers, smaller lungs, smaller hearts, shorter legs, much more estrogen, much less testosterone, a lesser capacity to produce oxygen when they exert themselves, and so on. This is but a partial list of biological differences. And that is why, for example, everyone in the NBA can dunk, but no one in the WNBA can dunk. It's why the fastest female high school sprinter in almost every state wouldn't be in the top six among the males of her same age. Probably not even in the top 20. It's why no female has ever successfully become a Navy SEAL. It's why, well, it's why our common sense intuition and observation that men and women are different is accurate. And that's it. Those are the only two fact-based arguments that the ACLU tries to present. And they're both completely false and delusional and borderline psychotic. The other two debunkings have to do, again, with emotional concerns. As for science and facts, this is all they got. Which is to say, they got nothing. And for that reason, they are canceled. But you know what? We're canceled too, all of us in this culture, for allowing this madness to get as far as it has, for failing to take this threat seriously soon enough, which we, ha- which we should have. I mean, there were some of us five, six, seven, eight years ago who were saying, we're going to get to this point, this transgender stuff, this is where we're going. And there were many people, many conservatives who told those of us who were warning of this, that it's a passing fad, it's not a big deal, we need to focus on more important things. And even now, um, the opposition, people on the right, failing to launch a competent defense um, defense for of, of biology, of basic truth. I mean, the other side are essentially flat earthers, and they're winning in spite of that. So we are canceled too. Everyone is canceled. The ACLU, you, me, you're all canceled. Damn it. And we'll leave it there for today. On that positive, that typically positive and chipper note, uh, thanks for watching everyone. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Kerry has no choice but to fly around in private jets. The DOJ encourages Yale to discriminate against white and Asian students. And Marilyn Manson's sex scandal exposes the central political debate 
of our age. Who'd have thunk it? Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.